This is Dr. Nick Tiller, and you're listening to the Skeptic's Guide to Sports Science podcast. What follows is an audio recording of my column published in Skeptical Inquirer, the magazine for science and reason. For more information, visit www.skepticalinquirer.org. As with all articles in the series, a link to the original piece with a full list of references can be found in the show notes. Episode 20, Inside the UFC's Pseudoscience Crisis. It's hard work beating people up for a living. A professional mixed martial arts MMA fighter typically trains year-round, fusing fighting disciplines like boxing, kickboxing, wrestling and Brazilian jiu-jitsu with concurrent resistance and endurance training. They must carefully balance stress and recovery to bring improvements rather than injuries and infections. And then during fight camp, they complete an intensive 8-12 to week training program that culminates in a grueling weight cut to shed 10% of their body weight, which is approximately 15 pounds for a lightweight fighter. And that's just to get ready for the contest. They must then enter the cage to trade punches, kicks, elbows, knees, throws, holds and submissions with another professional fighter while an adoring crowd bays for blood. The two continue until someone gives up, loses on points or loses their consciousness. Given the clear imperative to perform and recover, why is it that so many fighters use products and services which, by modern scientific standards, are so patently useless. On the southern outskirts of Las Vegas, Nevada, close to where the concrete gives way to expansive desert, the $14 million, 30,000 square foot UFC Performance Institute, the PI, stands conspicuous alongside the Bruce Woodbury Beltway. Opened in 2017, the facility is the UFC's research and performance center employing scientists, nutritionists, physiotherapists and strength and conditioning coaches to provide holistic support to rostered athletes. The PI was designed to launch the UFC into a new era of combat sports science by delivering, quote, evidence-based science, innovation and technology, end quote. But to a physiologist's eye, my eye, Many of the therapies offered through the PI's standard of care are more new age than new frontier. Exhibit 1. Cupping. It's obvious when an MMA fighter has received cupping therapy because the ancient Chinese medicine leaves large circular bruises on the skin revealed when the athlete strips down to weigh in for an upcoming fight. Some athletes wear those purple blemishes with pride. Cupping, like many derivative ancient therapies like acupuncture and Reiki, operates on the pretext that blocked energy meridians in the body are to blame for medical ailments. During cupping, small glass cups are placed against the skin at sites of injury or soreness. By creating suction inside the cups using a pump or heated mechanism, the therapy is supposed to unblock the meridians and restore the flow of energy. As a means of manipulating physiology, 
cupping has no prior plausibility, and it's remarkable so many studies have been devoted to testing its efficacy. They are tests that cupping repeatedly fails. In recent years, proponents have given cupping a makeover to bring it into the 21st century and make it more scientifically agreeable. But replacing energy flow with blood flow, as they have, does nothing to progress the conversation, and we're still without a lucid mechanism for how cupping supposedly facilitates recovery. Mixed martial arts superstar Conor McGregor has used cupping in his fight preparations, probably pioneering a trend among his peers. Exhibit 2. Whole Body Cryotherapy Even more conspicuous than cupping, the theatrical pretense of whole body cryotherapy is at least part of the appeal. Athletes probably feel rather special stepping inside a piece of kit worth a quarter of a million dollars as an enigmatic mist creeps out the edges of the tank. Some influence certainly stems from cryotherapies used by athletes and sports teams in the NFL, NBA and pro soccer, as well as celebrities like Daniel Craig and Jennifer Aniston. It's offered at the UFC PI as one of the UFC's many official partners, and they promote the practice accordingly. In the October 2021 issue of this column, I wrote at length about the science behind cryotherapy, concluding that, quote, Whole body cryotherapy is an expensive, largely unproven and potentially dangerous intervention that detracts from more effective and economical forms of recovery, end quote. Exhibit 3. Ice Bathing The renowned ice plunge is ubiquitous among high-performance athletes. Scroll long enough through any UFC fighter's Instagram feed and you'll eventually stumble upon an ice bath hashtag. But ice bathing has stood the test of time more because of tradition, popularity and the exposure effect than effectiveness. Its continued use reflects a worrisome circularity, reminiscent of how the American Statistical Association referred to the use of an arbitrary 0.05 threshold in statistical procedures. Quote, we teach it because it's what we do, we do it because it's what we teach. End quote. There are some advantages to ice bathing, including decreasing the perceptions of muscle soreness and possible, albeit small, effects on reducing inflammation. But the disadvantages are poorly considered. Cold baths impair muscle protein synthesis and diminish long-term adaptations to strength training by blunting anaerobic signaling. For MMA athletes who place enormous value on strength, power and muscular development, ice bathing almost certainly confers a net disadvantage. It's unclear when or if the science will ever trickle through to applied practice, but if history offers any indication, ice bathing is probably here to stay. Discussion of Exhibits 4 and 5, Dry Needling and Red Light Therapy respectively, are reserved for another time. Let's quickly snatch the baby from the proverbial bathwater and mention some of the good work done at the UFC PI, including performance testing, physiotherapy and strength and conditioning support. The elite performances the PI continues to churn out are testament to the centre's understanding of applied MMA practice. But when questionable practices snake their way into mainstream use, as they have done in MMA, they become intermingled with the evidence-based interventions, and before long, people assume they're one and the same. 
This is the Trojan horse of pseudoscience at its most unscrupulous. At best, it reshapes the MMA scientific revolution into a double-edged sword. How have bunk treatments made their way into MMA and what is it about the current MMA culture that's allowed them to endure and even thrive? We should first acknowledge that MMA exists within the wider historical context of combat sports. Boxing and wrestling, for example, were two of the original contests at the ancient Olympic Games, circa 776 BC. Sports that are steeped in rich histories are often bound by the shackles of tradition. Training and recovery strategies are often passed down from one generation to the next because the coaches of today are the athletes of yesterday. Such nepotism can effectively insulate combat sports from modern developments until practices endure because of tradition rather than efficacy. Note also the alternative culture fostered by the largest and most dominant MMA organisation in the world. The UFC has long maintained that it's an apolitical organisation, a claim that UFC President Dana White incongruously made on Fox News in 2021. Yet the claim crumbles under the weight of the slimmest scrutiny. White has spoken several times in recent years at the Republican National Convention. Some of the UFC's biggest stars, including Colby Covington, Jorge Masvidal, Henry Cejudo and Justin Gaethje are outspoken MAGA enthusiasts, and the UFC has thrown the full weight of its multi-billion dollar empire behind Donald Trump's re-election bid. The former president was even in attendance at a recent UFC pay-per-view, just a few days after he'd been indicted for 34 counts of business fraud. The UFC has an overtly right-leaning philosophy. Pertinently, conservative Americans are much more likely to hold views that contradict the mainstream scientific consensus, including views on climate change, vaccine efficacy, and even the use of ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine as effective treatments for COVID-19. From there, it's just a stone's throw to the subversive, anti-science wellness culture characterized by New Age alternative practices, a phenomenon termed conspirituality. In some respects, the interventions described above are genetic siblings. They all have considerable side effects, some of them serious, including the real possibility of cupping-related burns and the inherent risk that cold water immersion can cause cold shock, a condition that the National Center for Cold Water Safety suggested can, quote, kill a person in less than 60 seconds, end quote. They're also linked by their shared dependence on placebo effects, psychological benefits that result from belief in and expectation of beneficial outcomes. The UFC, as one of several MMA organizations, has enormous reach. Pay-per-view buys alone can reach 2.5 million, and a typical episode of Embedded, the UFC's behind-the-scenes vlog for their upcoming events, regularly gets over 1 million views. When fans see their favorite fighters indulging in alternative treatments, it becomes clear how revered athletes might pioneer population trends in alternative medicines. This can have profound downstream implications for population health and clinical practice. There are also direct consequences for the athletes. Their resources, most pertinently time and money, are not limitless. 
the lowest tier athletes in the UFC earn a meager $10,000 to $30,000 per fight. In 2021, 20% of fighters made less than the average US income. That income must satisfy the cost of living, finance training, fight camps, wages for coaches and sparring partners, and travel to national and international competition. Taking such a liberal and experimental approach to training and recovery means squandering limited resources on expensive, ineffective, and potentially dangerous interventions. This is in direct opposition to the ethos of elite performance. Sport MMA has come a long way in its short tenure. You only need to compare fighters of the early roster, invariably one-dimensional specialists in striking or grappling, to today's highly tuned, well-rounded athletes to see just how much the sport has matured. But in terms of its scientific acumen, MMA really needs to grow up. The clear disconnect between scientific understanding and applied practice reveals a fundamental naivete of human physiology. It leaves MMA in a precarious position. Scientific illiteracy, coupled with a desperation to perform that obligates athletes to leave no stone unturned, are the very ingredients that enable pseudoscience to thrive. Yet, it's axiomatic that athletes stand the best chance of enduring the immense physical and mental strains of their sport if they invest their limited resources in strategies that actually work. Strategies where the benefits outweigh the inherent risks. After all, you can't have a favourable risk-to-benefit ratio for an intervention that hinges on imagined outcomes. Perhaps the most noble route is to follow strategies that have both proven efficacy and powerful expectation effects. This way, fighters benefit from a measurable physical and mental advantage, but one that doesn't require the coach and support staff to sacrifice their intellectual integrity. When it comes to the pursuit of sports performance, some stones should remain unturned. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this article, check out my book, The Skeptic's Guide to Sports Science, Confronting Myths of the Health and Fitness Industry, published by Taylor & Francis. For more information on this and my other work, visit www.nbtiller.com. Thank you.